Welcome to East and West, a show for helping us keep our spiritual bearings as we navigate this world around us. Wes Young here, continuing Season 4, an audiobook presentation of Undyne, a book by Frédéric de la Montfouquet. If you're joining us for the first time, I strongly advise starting Season 4 at the beginning with Season 4, Episode 1. Today's episode is Undyne Chapter 6. Now to recap a little bit, in Chapter 5, the knight Huldbrand and his bride Undyne return to the Imperial City. There, Bertalda, that's the lady who expected to marry Huldbrand, finds herself now replaced by this Undyne. However, the two ladies strike up an unlikely friendship, and Undyne even convinces Huldbrand to bring Bertalda with them back to his castle. The chapter closes with a mysterious visit from the spirit of the water fountain, who apparently has a bit of news for Bertalda. Undyne receives this information, but as yet has kept it secret from everyone else, readers included. Now is also a good time for us to review something that happened early on in this book involving the fisherman and his wife. Remember that they had a biological child of their own who was lost to the lake, and that on the very same day, the young Undyne showed up at their door dripping wet. The couple never saw their lost child again, but they endeavored to raise Undyne as their own. And now, for Undyne Chapter 6. The company were sitting at dinner... Bertalda, adorned with jewels and flowers without number, the presence of her foster parents and friends, and looking like some goddess of spring, sat beside Undine and Huldbrand at the head of the table. When the sumptuous repast was ended and the dessert was placed before them, permission was given that the doors should be left open. This was in accordance with the good old custom in Germany that the common people might see and rejoice in the festivity of their superiors. Among these spectators, the servants carried round cake and wine. Holdbrand and Bertalda waited with secret impatience for the promised explanation and hardly moved their eyes from Undine, but she still continued silent and merely smiled to herself with secret and heartfelt satisfaction. All who were made acquainted with the promise she had given could perceive that she was every moment on the point of revealing a happy secret, and yet, as children sometimes delay tasting their choicest dainties, she still withheld the communication. Bertalda and Huldebrand shared the same delightful feeling, while in anxious hope they were expecting the unknown disclosure which they were to receive from the lips of their friend. At this moment, several of the company pressed Undine to sing. This she seemed pleased at, and ordering her lute to be brought, she sang the following words. The morning so bright, wild flowers so gay, where high grass so dewy crowns the wavy lake's border. On the meadow's verdant bosom, what glimmers there so white? Have wreaths of snowy blossoms, soft floating, fallen from heaven? Ah, see, a tender infant, it plays with flowers unwittingly. It strives to grasp morn's golden beams. Oh, where, sweet stranger, where's your home? Afar from unknown shores, the waves have wafted hither this helpless little one. Nay, clasp not, tender darling, with tiny hand the flowers. No hand returns the pressure, the flowers are strange and mute. 
they clothe themselves in beauty, they breathe a rich perfume, but cannot fold around you a mother's loving arms. Far, far away that mother's fond embrace, life's early dawn just opening faint, your eye yet beaming heaven's own smile, so soon your tenderest guardian's gone. Severe, poor child, your fate, all, all to you unknown. A noble duke has crossed the mead, and near you checked his steed's career. Wonder and pity touch his heart, with knowledge high and manners pure. He rears you, makes his castle home your own. How great, how infinite your gain! Of all the land you bloom the loveliest, yet, ah, the priceless blessing, the bliss of parents' fondness you left on strands unknown. Undine let fall her lute with a melancholy smile. The eyes of Bertalda's noble foster parents were filled with tears. Ah, yes, it was so. Such was the morning on which I found you, poor orphan, cried the duke with deep emotion. The beautiful singer is certainly right. Still, the priceless blessing, the bliss of parents' fondness, it was beyond our power to give you. Oh, but we must hear also what happened to the poor parents, said Undine as she struck the chords and sung. Through her chambers roams the mother, searching, searching everywhere, seeks and knows not what with yearning, childless house still finding there. Childless house, oh, sound of anguish, she alone the anguish knows, there by day who led her dear one, there who rocked its night repose. Beached buds again are swelling, sunshine warms again the shore. Ah, fond mother, cease your searching, comes the loved and lost no more. Then when of eve are freshening home the father wins his way while with smiles his woe he's veiling gushing tears his heart betray well he knows within his dwelling still as death he'll find the gloom only hear the mother moaning no sweet babe to smile him home oh tell me in the name of heaven tell me undine where are my parents cried the weeping Bertalda. You certainly know. You must have discovered them, you wonderful being, for otherwise you would never have thus torn my heart. Can they be already here? May I believe it possible? Her eye glanced rapidly over the brilliant company and rested upon a lady of high rank who was sitting next to her foster father. Then, bending her head, Undine beckoned toward the door while her eyes overflowed with the sweetest emotion. <laughs> Where, then, are the poor parents waiting? she asked, and the old fisherman, hesitating, advanced with his wife from the crowd of spectators. They looked inquiringly now at Undine and now at the beautiful lady who was said to be their daughter. It is she! It is she there before you! exclaimed the restorer of their child, her voice half choked with rapture, and both the aged parents embraced their recovered daughter, weeping aloud and praising God. But terrified and indignant, Bertalda tore herself from their arms. Such a discovery was too much for her proud spirit to bear, especially at the moment when she had doubtless expected to see her former splendor increased, and when hope was picturing to her nothing less brilliant than a royal canopy and a crown. It seemed to her as if her rival had contrived all this on purpose, to humble her before Holdbrand and the whole world. 
She reproached Undine. She reviled the old people, and even such offensive words as deceiver, bribed and perjured impostors burst from her lips. The aged wife of the fisherman then said to herself in a low voice, Oh, my God, she has become wicked, and yet I feel in my heart that she is my child. The old fisherman had meanwhile folded hands and offered up a silent prayer that she might not be his daughter. Undine, faint and pale as death, turned from the parents to Bertalda, from Bertalda to the parents. She was suddenly cast down from all that heaven of happiness in which she had been dreaming and plunged into an agony of terror and disappointment, which she had never known even in her dreams. "'Have you then a soul? Have you indeed a soul, Bertalda?' She cried again and again to her angry friend, as if with vehement effort she would arouse her from a sudden delirium or some distracting dream of night and restore her to recollection. But when Bertalda became every moment only more and more enraged, when the disappointed parents began to weep aloud in the company with much warmth of dispute were espousing opposite sides, she begged with such earnestness and dignity for the liberty of speaking in this her husband's hall that all around her were in an instant hushed to silence. She then advanced to the upper end of the table, where, both humbled and haughty, Bertalda had seated herself, and while every eye was fastened upon her, spoke in the following manner. My friends, you appear dissatisfied and disturbed, and you are interrupting with your strife a festivity I had hoped would bring joy to you and to me. Ah, I knew nothing of your heartless ways of thinking, and never shall understand them. I am not to blame for the mischief this disclosure has done. Believe me, little as you may imagine this to be the case, it is wholly owing to yourselves. One more word, therefore, is all I have to add, but this is one that must be spoken. I have uttered nothing but truth. Of the certainty of the fact, I give you the strongest assurance. No other proof can I or will I produce, but this I will affirm in the presence of God. The person who gave me this information was the very same who decoyed the infant Bertalda into the water, and who, after thus taking her from her parents, placed her on the green grass of the meadow, where he knew the duke was to pass. She is an enchantress! cried Bertalda, a witch that has intercourse with evil spirits. She acknowledges it herself. Never, I deny it, replied Undine, while a whole heaven of innocence and truth beamed from her eyes. I am no witch. Look upon me and say if I am. Well, then she utters both falsehood and folly, cried Bertalda, and she is unable to prove that I am the child of these low people. My noble parents, I entreat you to take me from this company and out of this city where they do nothing but shame me. But the aged duke, a man of honorable feeling, remained unmoved, and his wife remarked, We must thoroughly examine into this matter. God forbid that we should move a step from this hall before we do so. Then the aged wife of the fisherman drew near, made a low obeisance to the duchess, and said, Noble and pious lady, you have opened my heart. Permit me to tell you that if this evil-disposed maiden is my daughter, she has a mark like a violet between her shoulders, and another of the same kind on the instep of her left foot. If she will only consent to go out of the hall with me— I will not consent to uncover myself before the peasant woman! interrupted Bertalda, haughtily turning her back upon her. But before me you certainly will— 
replied the Duchess gravely. You will follow me into that room, maiden, and the old woman shall go with us. The three disappeared, and the rest continued where they were, in breathless expectation. In a few minutes, the females returned, Bertalda pale as death. And the Duchess said, Justice must be done. I therefore declare that our lady hostess has spoken the exact truth. Bertalda is the fisherman's daughter. No further proof is required. And this is all of which, on the present occasion, you need to be informed. The princely pair went out with their adopted daughter. The fisherman, at a sign from the duke, followed them with his wife. The other guests retired in silence or suppressing their murmurs, while Undine sank weeping into the arms of Holdbrand. The lord of Ringstetet would certainly have been more gratified had the events of this day been different. But even such as they now were, he could by no means look upon them as unwelcome, since his lovely wife had shown herself so full of goodness, sweetness, and kindliness. If I have given her a soul, he could not help saying to himself, I have assuredly given her a better one than my own. And now he only thought of soothing and comforting his weeping wife, and of removing her even so early as the morrow, from a place which, after this cross incident, could not fail to be distasteful to her. Yet it is certain that the opinion of the public concerning her was not changed, as something extraordinary that had long been expected of her, the mysterious discovery of Bertalda's parentage had occasioned little or no surprise, and everyone who became acquainted with Bertalda's story, and with the violence of her behavior on that occasion, was only disgusted and set against her. Of this state of things, however, the knight and his lady were as yet ignorant. Besides, whether the public condemned Bertalda or herself, the one view of the affair would have been as distressing to Undine as the other, and thus they came to the conclusion that the wisest course they could take was to leave behind them the walls of the old city with all the speed in their power. With the earliest beams of morning, a brilliant carriage for Undine drove up to the door of the inn. The horses of Holdbrand and his attendants stood near, stamping the pavement, impatient to proceed. The knight was leading his beautiful wife from the door when a fisher girl came up and met them in the way. We have no need of your fish, said Holdbrand, accosting her. We are this moment setting out on a journey. Upon this, the fisher girl began to weep bitterly, and then it was that the young couple first perceived it was Bertalda. They immediately returned with her to their apartment when she informed them that owing to her unfeeling and violent conduct of the preceding day, the Duke and Duchess had been so displeased with her as entirely to withdraw from her their protection, though not before giving her a generous portion. The fisherman, too, had received a handsome gift and had the evening before set out with his wife for his peninsula. I would have gone with them, she pursued, but the old fisherman, who is said to be my father... Oh, he is, in truth, your father, Bertalda, said Undine, interrupting her. See, the stranger whom you took for the master of the waterworks, he gave me all the particulars. He wished to dissuade me from taking you with me to Castle Ringstetet, and therefore disclosed to me the whole mystery. Well, then, continued Bertalda, my father, if it must needs be so, my father said... I will not take you with me until you are changed. If you will venture to come to us alone through the ill-omened forest, that shall be a proof of your having some regard for us. 
but come not to me as a lady, come merely as a fisher girl. I do as he bade me, for since I am abandoned by all the world, I will live and die in solitude, a poor fisher girl, with parents equally poor. The forest indeed appears very terrible to me, horrible spectres make it their haunt, and I am so fearful, but how can I help it? I have only come here at this early hour to beg the noble lady of Ringstetet to pardon my unbecoming behavior of yesterday. Sweet lady, I have the fullest persuasion that you meant to do me a kindness, but you were not aware how severely you would wound me. And then in my agony and surprise, so many rash and frantic expressions burst from my lips. Forgive me, ah, forgive me. I am in truth so unhappy already. Only consider what I was but yesterday morning, what I was even at the beginning of your yesterday's festival, and what I am today. Her words now became inarticulate, lost in a passionate flow of tears, while Undine, bitterly weeping with her, fell upon her neck. So powerful was her emotion that it was a long time before she could utter a word. At length, she said, You shall go with us to Ringstetet. All shall remain just as we lately arranged it. But say thou to me again, and do not call me noble lady any more. Consider, we were changed for each other when we were children. Even then we were united by a like fate, and we will strengthen this union with such close affection as no human power can dissolve. Only first of all, you must go with us to Ringstetet. How we shall share all these things as sisters, we can talk of after we arrive." Bertalda looked up to Huldbrand with timid inquiry. He pitied her in her affliction, took her hand, and begged her tenderly to entrust herself to him and his wife. We will send a message to your parents, continued he, giving them the reason why you have not come. And he would have added more about his worthy friends of the peninsula when, perceiving that Bertalda shrank in distress at the mention of them, he refrained. He took her under the arm lifted her first into the carriage, then Undine, and was soon riding blithely beside them. So persevering was he, too, in urging forward their driver, that in a short time they had left behind them the limits of the city, and a crowd of painful recollections. And now the ladies could take delight in the beautiful country which their progress was continually presenting. After a journey of some days, they arrived on a fine evening at Castle Ringstetet, the young knight being much engaged with the overseers and menials of his establishment, Undine and Bertalda were left alone. They took a walk upon the high rampart of the fortress, and were charmed with the delightful landscape which the fertile Swabia spread around them. While they were viewing the scene, a tall man drew near, who greeted them with respectful civility, and who seemed to Bertalda much to resemble the director of the city fountain. Still less was the resemblance to be mistaken when Undine, indignant at his intrusion, waved him off with an air of menace, while he, shaking his head, retreated with rapid strides as he had formerly done, then glided among the trees of a neighboring grove and disappeared. Do not be terrified, Bertalda, said Undine. The hateful master of the fountain shall do you no harm this time and then she related to her the particulars of her history and who she was herself, how Bertalda had been taken away from the people of the peninsula and Undine left in her place. This relation at first filled the young maiden with amazement and alarm. She imagined her friend must be seized with a sudden madness. 
but from the consistency of her story, she became more and more convinced that all was true. It so well agreed with former occurrences and still more convinced from that inward feeling with which truth never fails to make itself known to us. She could not but view it as an extraordinary circumstance that she was herself now living, as it were, in the midst of one of those wild tales which she had formerly heard related. She gazed upon Undine with reverence, but could not keep from a shuddering feeling which seemed to come between her and her friends. And she could not but wonder when the night at their evening repast showed himself so kind and full of love towards a being who appeared to her, after the discoveries just made, more to resemble a phantom of the spirit world than one of the human race. A few thoughts after chapter 6. A sad chapter. Here the story brings to light the darker side of the human soul, namely its capacity to be corrupted. Bertalda is eaten up with pride and greed. She curses and fusses and throws a good old-fashioned hissy fit at the news that she is born of poor parents. Never mind that the fisherman and his wife are actually wonderful people. Bertalda cares only that they have no station, that they have no money. This scenario sets the stage for my favorite line of chapter 6, which is Undine's exclamation after Bertalda's pitiful reaction. Undine says, Have you then a soul? Have you indeed a soul, Bertalda? Let this question not be uttered by the angels or the God of heaven when those celestial onlookers witness our dealings with the poor. You know, the words of James come to mind here. He writes, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and you say, here's a good seat for you, sir, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, James writes, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Bertalda is certainly showing favoritism, and I think perhaps the author is illustrating that for us by creating this character who's doing something that is unjust. But doesn't that hold a mirror up to us and our lives and say, now what are we doing and how are we treating how are we acting and reacting in ways that might be unjust? May the Lord make us clean. He's the only one that can. And may this story help us along with our pilgrimage. I hope you'll join us for the next chapter. That's chapter 7. Be releasing next week. Until then, press on, everybody.